So welcome. We're glad you're here. It's our last Wednesday of the year. So we'll be back um, in uh, January. Uh, and so we'll keep you updated on when that's going to be, but we'll be back. Um, I don't know if Ryan's in here or not, but there he is. I just want to say a big thank you to Ryan for being such a big part of this series. And thanks. And for, uh, setting the bar too high time-wise, but, uh, appreciate you, Ryan, very much for being a part of that. So we've been spending some time going through, uh, the book of Philippians. And so we're going to wrap that up tonight as uh, we've talked, we've talked through this principle for three weeks now in the book Philippians, and that is not to settle for less than God's best, right? And the reality is, is that sometimes in our culture, that could be mis- misconstrued into talking about, you know, God's best for us is always perfect health, right? Always the perfect job, always the perfect mate, Always the perfect date, right? When we talk about at times in the Western world of settling for less than God's best, we often assume that means that God's always, always going to give us what we think is best for us. That's not really, that's not really an accurate portrayal of how God reacts or interacts with his children. Okay. We all know this. If you've raised kids, you know, That what's best for your children at times isn't what they think is best. You agree with that? Right? There's lots of decisions we've made or things that we've told our kids that we want them to do or when to be home or who to hang out with or where not to go and where to go and when to go. And here's the reality. There's lots of times that they think we don't have their best interest at heart. And yet we know that what's best for them isn't always what they want. Would you agree with that? Listen, it's the same principle for God. The only difference is, is that he knows everything, right? We're, we're making our best guess as a parent. God never has to guess. He always knows what's best for us. And so we talked about not settling for less than God's best and God sort of ramps that up in chapter three, when he says to the apostle Paul, listen, I consider everything, everything I've got or have obtained as laws to simply know Jesus and the surpassing knowledge of his greatness and his goodness, right? The reality is, is that what is best for all of us as followers of Jesus is to know Jesus, right? And as, and as Ryan ended last week, he asked the question, right? What would life look like for you a day from now, a week from now, a month from now, a year from now, if we took serious that the best that God could give us is considering everything that we think is important loss in exchange for knowing Jesus, Right? That's the goal of Christianity. It's not a popular goal because we want Christianity to be in a way beneficial to us. So we're going to talk about this phrase tonight in chapter four, opportunity cost, right? Opportunity cost, because now listen, there's a lot in chapter four. 
Okay, and, and, and so I've chose to end the series with the end of chapter 4. We're not going to talk about rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. We're not going to talk about don't worry about anything. Everybody good with the, talking about those? Because you're not going to practice those anyway, right? You're going you're gonna to worry even when you leave, right? And, and you're going to have a hard time reading. So we're not going to talk about those. We're going to talk about the end of the book. Because at the end of the book, Paul, Paul talks about this idea of opportunity cost. Okay, it's a business term, right? So here's the definition. The definition of opportunity cost is the loss of potential gain from other alternatives when another alternative is chosen, right? So the concept is, let me just show you a picture, okay? So here's, here's the picture of, of, of explaining it. Opportunity cost equals the return on the best option not chosen minus the return on the option chosen. Let me make it simpler for you. John studies all night for his exam. Next day, John is sleepy. What's the cost? The cost was a good night's sleep. Everybody got that? So the opportunity was in front of him. Two choices. I can choose to study or I can choose to sleep. The opportunity cost for John to choose to study was the loss of a good night's sleep. Therefore, he was tired. Had John chosen to sleep instead of study, the opportunity cost for John might have been a failing grade on his test. Right? You get that? Does everybody track with opportunity cost? Right? So here's the thing about an opportunity cost. There's almost always an investment that an individual or a company has to make to get the best out of the opportunity. Right? Hey, listen, you've, you've got to get on the ground floor of this investment. You don't want to miss out on this opportunity. Well, what's it going to cost me? All I need is $5,000, right? Listen, if you can just come up with $5,000, you won't regret taking this opportunity, right? There's always a front-end investment to participate and receive the benefit of the opportunity. Does everybody understand that? There's also a negative cost in missing a great opportunity, right? I think Ryan stood out here a few weeks ago and talked about if I had, if I had taken a certain amount of money and invested it in these companies, how wealthy I would be. I'm still trying to process how poor a decision that was to not invest in those companies, right? Because on the opposite side of what it might cost you to get the benefit of the opportunity, there's also a cost involved in what you might miss out on. So, hey, I don't want to invest $5,000. That's way too steep for me. Okay, would you say that if you knew that that $5,000 was going to turn into $100,000 within the next six months or a year? No, never. The problem is we don't have foresight into what the opportunity is going to give us. And so lots of times the opportunity cost actually comes at a loss for us. Much like this scenario, bring that picture of John back up, right? Much like John, here's what John's opportunity cost was on the negative. He lost a good night's sleep. 
you can apply that principle to just about anything, right? I've got $10 to spend, right? I'm either going to spend it on food and Starbucks, or I can go and spend it on buying me a new shirt, right? Both of those require an investment of $10. But what do you lose if you choose the worst option? Because that's the cost of missing out on an opportunity. And I am convinced that the end of chapter 4 is all about talking about what we lose when we miss these great opportunities that Paul's going to talk about. So we're going to read Philippians chapter 4 verses 10 through 20. I'm going to ask you to stand because it's cold in here and you need to get some blood flowing, right? Thought my, I thought my iPhone was broke today, right? Because it said 39 degrees in Florida and it was 45 in St. Louis. I'm like, I can't be right. Right, so let's read these, let's read these verses together, Philippians 4, 10 through 20. He says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. He says, Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content in whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. And I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or living in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you, he said to the church in Philippi, it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know... In the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was at Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gift. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I've received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent. They're a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. You can be seated. So there's a lot in here. So we're going to unpack it. And since it's the last night, I'm not even going to turn my phone on to keep track of time. So when you get, when you get bored, just leave. I'll be fine with that. I may just pull an apostle Paul and preach to one of you falls out of your chair asleep. I don't know. Opportunity cost, right? Listen, if we're not going to settle for less than God's best, then we best take advantage of the opportunities that are presented in before us. Would you agree? Listen, if we're going to, if we're going to settle or not settle for less than God's best, these opportunities have to be taken advantage of. And sometimes the only way for us to know why we should take advantage of these opportunities is to understand what the opportunity cost will be on the lost side. And so here's the first opportunity lost cost 
in this thing. That is the loss of experience with Jesus. How many of you have been to the Grand Canyon? Wow, several of you. Right? How many of you have been to Niagara Falls, both America and Canada? Right? Spectacular places, would you agree? Right? Not, not near enough enthusiasm. All right? I mean, I know you're cold, but the more active you are, the warmer you'll feel. Right? How, Grand Canyon, spectacular. Niagara Falls. Right? Seeing him in person was beyond comprehension to me. I mean, I was in Las Vegas for a conference and called my wife and said, I don't have to fly out until the first thing in the morning. Conference is over at noon. I'm going to one of three places. Or is in Phoenix. I said, I'm going to one of three places. I'm either going to the Grand Canyon. I'm either going to Las Vegas. Or I'm going to drive to L.A. And I said, which of those three do you not want to go to? And of course, I knew her answer. And was already headed out of Phoenix to the Grand Canyon. When she said to me, I could care less about seeing the Grand Canyon. And she said, and I quote, it's just a hole in the ground. So I drove to the Grand Canyon. I got there 30 minutes before the sunset. When I left Phoenix, it was 78. I was in shorts and a t-shirt. When I got to the Grand Canyon at about 10,000 feet elevation, which I had no idea that was going to happen, it was snowing and 40 degrees. I was freezing, right? If there is a more spectacular sight than the Grand Canyon, I'd be hard-pressed to believe it. I don't think I've ever seen anything more spectacular in my life. And here's the thing. That might be the quietest place I've ever been on the face of the earth. Because that hole sucks up every bit of noise. There was elk walking around on the top. There was snow falling. It was spectacular. It was spectacular. I tried to tell my wife how amazing it was. She could have cared less. She could have cared less. And here's why. Because there's something about the power of a shared experience that you can't get just by telling a third party, right? That's where the phrase came from. Well, I guess you had to be there, right? We tell people stuff and we're cracking up because we're remembering the story. We're remembering the joke. We're remembering the moment and we're telling it and we're laughing and we're crying. And the person receiving the story is looking at you like, and they go, I guess you had to be there. Right? That's when you want to punch them and find new friends, right? Listen, everybody knows the power of a shared experience. Would you agree with that? Listen, I've got friends. Joe and I are friends with guys we went to college with. And every year now, we meet for a four-day retreat in Indiana, just the four of us. And honestly, the first day and a half is all about laughing and crying and telling about our shared experiences from the past. There is something so powerful about that experience. Here's the thing about this opportunity. And listen, all of this revolves around money and generosity, right? The, the, front, the front end cost for you to get the most out of this opportunity is you have to learn to be generous. You have to learn to be generous. Jesus said it's more blessed, you're more blessed to give than it is to receive, right? And listen, this church as a whole is so generous. So generous. But individually, 
There are still people watching online. There's still people in here that haven't got to the point that they're willing to do the front end investment to take advantage of the opportunity. They're still clinging to money in hopes that what they lose out on spiritually won't offset keeping that money. Here's what you miss. If you're not willing to do the front end cost of generosity, you're going to miss out on the knowledge or the experience of Jesus. Listen to what, listen to what Paul says in Philippians 4.13. He says, I can do all this, right? What? Survive plenty and survive want. Anybody ever been in need around here? Right? Anybody ever had an abundance of need and not near enough plenty? Right? He's what he says. I can do either. I can do, I can do need or I can do plenty. Right? He says, because I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Everybody say the word strength. Right? That Greek word, that Greek word means to have the necessary force to either subdue or overcome what's in front of you. It's look, it's used in Luke or Mark chapter five. Look at this. (coughs) Jesus in Mark five comes across a demon man. It says they went across to the lake or the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure or demonic spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore. Not even with a chain. For he had often been chained by hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart, broke the irons on his feet. No one was, come on, say it again, strong enough to subdue him. Same word, same word used in Philippians 4.13, that I can do all things through Christ who gives me the necessary force. Right? Here's the thing about missing out on the opportunity of being generous. Listen, I have no doubt. Uh, Well, I'd have no doubt because I've been there and I have no doubt that some of you have been there or are there. The thought of being generous and depleting your already pitiful bank account seems like way too much to put in up front. I get it. Because when you look at, you look at giving, especially during the Christmas season, with everything that it's going to cost you, it is a hard thing to rationalize on the front end, I should be generous here. And I get that. Listen, I get looking at your checkbook and going, I, I, I didn't give anything this week. And knowing what the bill book says. And knowing what the calendar says. I get the fear of paying it on the front end. But here's the thing. You're going to miss out on knowing Jesus in such a way that he gives you the power and the force necessary to live contented when you don't have enough. And listen, part of the reason why so many Christian people struggle in their faith isn't because they don't love Jesus. It's because they've never shared an experience with Jesus like that. Why do you think worship works so well? Because In it, we have a shared experience. People are gathering together in states 
where the regulations say don't meet in person. You want to know why Christian people are still meeting in person, wearing masks and doing it under the cover of darkness? Because here's what they know. There is a power in a shared experience that nothing else in my life can match. So you don't want to miss worship, right? But here's the thing, church, you can have that same experience with Jesus on a personal level as long as you're willing to be generous. All it costs you is generosity. And yes, it might put you in need. It might put you in want. And those are two different things. Those two different Greek words. There's a huge difference by being in want and being in need. Listen, one is desperate, the other one feels hopeless. And the reality is, your front end cost of generosity may deplete your pocketbook to where you create more need than want. But here's what you're going to lose. You're going to lose out on the experience of Jesus and feel Him strengthen you with force necessary to not let your circumstances dictate everything about you. You see, here's the power of getting the necessary force. Your circumstances will no longer have power to determine your faith. And for so many Christian people, that's where we live. It's our sweet spot. Man, we're good with Jesus when things are good, but man, we are struggling when things aren't. <coughs> and we say this, I'm just human. You are human. But if you're a follower of Jesus, you aren't just human anymore. You are supernatural. The spirit of God lives inside of you. And saying you're just human is only one part of the equation. You're also powerful beyond measure. But if you don't share the experience of ever being in need, you're never going to know what that's like. And you're always going to have to rely on somebody else to tell you what that's like. And it will never mean as much until you go through it yourself. Does that make sense to you, church? Yes or no? (coughs) Steve Tenney, would you bring me a bottle of water before I choke to death up here? Sorry. (coughs) Second loss. Second loss is this. A loss of a true bond. A loss of a true bond. Listen to what Paul writes in Philippians 4, 14 through 16. He says, it was good of you to share, everybody say the word share, in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia to go plant churches, not one church shared, everybody say shared, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid, financial help, more than once when I was in need. Okay. Steve, thank you so much. Go ahead, just talk among yourselves. So Paul says to them twice... You shared, right? Now, in the English language, sharing is pretty easy to define, right? 
I got something, you want something, and and if I'm going to share, then we're going to we're going to split time with it, right? If we're going to share it, then you're going to play for play with it for a while, and then I'm going to play with it for a while. I've got a two-year-old grandson who I am certain is going to be in the phase where he's going to say this word over and over again. Mine. Mine. Right? And you have to teach your child to share. But in the English language, sharing, right? We say sharing means caring, right? No, sharing means I got to give it up so that you can have it for a while. Right? Does that make sense? That is not what the Greek word for share means here. The Greek word for share, I'm going to read a passage of scripture to you to give you a visual of what this sharing looks like. Hebrews 2.14, the writer of Hebrews uses this same word, and here's what he says. Since the children, interpret children, human beings, you and me, since we have flesh and blood, everybody say flesh and blood. Since we have flesh and blood, he too shared, that's Jesus, shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death. That's the devil. Go back to that first verse there, David. It says, since the children have. This Greek word here is the Greek word share. It's the same word. Same word that Paul uses to describe the Philippian church's partnership when they shared with Paul by giving him aid over and over. Now think about this. Everybody say, me. How close is the bond between you and your flesh and blood? 100%. As a matter of fact, your bond with your flesh and blood is so close, it's almost inseparable. As a matter of fact, if somebody set to take in your skin off your body, the separation would be so painful because the bond is so close. Listen, that's the description of what it means to partner in generosity to help the gospel advance. Listen, there's nothing else. There is nothing else you and I will ever do in our Christian walk that will bind us as close to the work of the gospel than sharing in it. And you share by being generous. The cost up front is you surrender. You see, in America, we say, well, I'll give it to you and you can have it for a while. Then you give it back to me. And we call that sharing in the Greek language. Here's what sharing is. We create a bond that is so significant that it's like me and my flesh and blood. You can't hardly tell the difference between one or the other, right? Man, I don't know what I've got in my throat, but it is... It's so cold in here. (coughs) It's like living in Illinois again, right? But does that make sense to you? Listen, here's what you're going to lose. Yes, 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 yes. The cost up front could be painful for you financially. You can look at that $100 and go, I can't give. There's no way I'll make it. I can't put myself in this kind of deficit or hole. I get it. 
Every opportunity has to be looked at based on what the front end investment has to be. But man, if you're good at business, you also have to examine what you could potentially lose by withholding that investment. And here's what you're going to lose. If you and I failed to be generous in partnering with the work of the gospel financially, we lose the kind of partnership that makes all the difference in the world to people who are dying to feel connected to somebody else. I mean, look at it. COVID, listen, there was an article that came out of Japan last week. There were more suicides last month in Japan than all of the deaths COVID took in the country of Japan in one month. That's a lot of people who feel completely hopeless, lost, and disconnected. Do you know how, do you know how big a difference it makes when you don't feel alone in what you're going through? It makes all the difference in the world. Listen, there's a partnership. There's a partnership that develops between you and the gospel that can't be replaced and can only be obtained when we don't waste the opportunity to be generous. Listen, Joe does that well. Never seen anybody more adamant, more consistent, and more determined to constantly give you and I opportunities to partner with the gospel financially. And it makes a difference. Because every victory, every victory that takes place, you get to be a part of. Every time we plant a church in Egypt, you get to be a part of that victory. And every soul that is saved through the preaching of God's word in Egypt, you get to be a part of. And every orphan that gets rescued out of the streets of Mexico City, of which there are at least 10 million orphans in Mexico City and surrounding the area. Every time we rescue one for Dinos to Mexico and you've contributed financially, you're a partner in that. There is, there is nothing else that can replace that feeling of that bond. It would be painful for any of us to experience the loss of our flesh and blood. For people who partner financially through generosity with the work of the gospel, it would pain them to not feel that bond. And yet there are so many Christians who come to church like this, who watch online, who love Jesus, and yet they've never experienced that kind of true bond in any way connected to the church. And it isn't because they're not looking. 30 years of ministry, I can tell you, people are looking. And we tell every one of them the same thing. Get involved. Because there's no way to know the power of that bond if you just won't be involved. Third opportunity cost. The third opportunity cost is the loss of validation. Loss of validation. Here's what Philippians 4.17 says. He says, not that I desire your gift. Listen, he's not... That's why we always say, listen, we're not asking for money because we need it. I mean, listen, it's a business. There's a business side. Of course, we need money, but we don't need your money, right? This isn't about us desiring your gift, Paul says. But listen to this. Here's what Paul tells the church in Philippi. What I desire, right? Don't settle for less than God's best. What I desire is that more, everybody say the word more, right? 
more be credited to your account. Right? The Greek word for more there is the Greek word for abound. It means to increase in number. Right? One at a time, it just gets higher and higher and higher and higher. Picture the lottery numbers or picture the lottery amount from week to week when nobody wins. It goes up and it goes up and it goes up. Paul said, listen, I have no interest. It's not my desire that creates the need for the gift because Paul says, I'm content. Whether I've got or whether I've don't, my contentment is fine. Right? Because I've experienced the power of Jesus giving me the necessary force to not let my circumstances reign in me. He says, but here's what I want for all of you. I want you to have your account credited with more. Right? Anybody been the recipient of a bank error before? Anybody been the recipient of a positive bank error before? Right? Some people are like, nope, right? Man, there's nothing like getting a bank error in your favor, right? Look at that bank account, you're like, huh, right? Somebody credited something to my account, right? That's always a nice thing to figure out. So here's the thing. Here's the thing about our account, okay? The Greek word for account is not financial in nature. The actual Greek word used there is the Greek word logon, which we get from logos, which we get from legos. And here's what it means. It means to speak favorably on somebody's behalf. So listen to this. How many of you have read the five love languages book by Dr. Gary Chapman? Wow. I thought there'd be more, right? In it, he describes five basic needs that human beings have when they hear the words, I love you. And we're all a little bit different. And one of those love languages is words of affirmation. Right? How many of you find value when somebody else speaks well of you? Right? Listen, we all know the power of that, right? Nothing like running into somebody and go, you know, I was just talking to old Billy Bob over there. And man, he was saying all kinds of great things about you. Man, he, he really likes you. He thinks you're amazing. Now tell me that that doesn't make you feel a little bit better, right? Listen, when you can have another person speak well on behalf of you, we all know that because here's what we know. We will, we all know what it's like to be on the receiving end of somebody talking bad about us, right? We know that pain, right? And if the pain on that side is great, the positive on the other side is even greater. Listen to this. All of this requires a front end investment. Your generosity Regarding your money. And here's what he said. If you fail to give that front end investment, no matter how difficult it is, you're going to lose out on the validation that comes from God speaking well on your behalf. God. 
validating you. Listen, we've got people doing the... I, I think I told you this. I, I, I did a bad thing during COVID. I got hooked on TikTok. You know, when, when, when you can't meet together, you can't go out and eat, you can't watch sports. I figured, I finally figured out something to do, right? And at first TikTok was fine because there was a lot of stupid, funny things on it. But you know what TikTok's boiled down to? Because now TikTok's being run by 40 and over people, right? We've just moved in like a bunch of locusts, right? And you know what's happening to TikTok? It's a bunch of people who are doing anything they can to search for validation. Nine out of 10 videos are all about somebody desperately seeking validation. Some of them are so sad, they're saying things like, nobody's watching me, nobody's viewing me, nobody's liking me, so I'm gonna post this in hopes that you all make it go viral. People, real people. Sitting in real homes and real cars and real bedrooms, so desperate for validation, they will wear almost anything, say almost anything, do almost anything just to get somebody to press the little heart button and like them. And you know what they want? All they want is for TikTok, the company, to verify their account. Because why? In being verified by TikTok, they've got validation. Here's what I know. If you choose to pay the cost up front with your generosity, here's the validation you're going to get. The creator of the universe, the God of heaven and earth, is going to fill your account with words of affirmation. He is going to speak well of you. Man, everybody knows that feeling. And, and, and more importantly, hey, bring that verse back up, verse 17 of John 4, or Philippians 4. Listen to this. He says, not that I desire your, everybody say this word, gifts. Everybody say gifts, right? The Greek word here is karpon. It means fruit. So here's what he says. I don't desire your gift. What I desire is that you be, or this, your fruit. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. Listen to John 15. Let's just add another, another benefit we get from this front end investment. Jesus says, I'm the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that does, that bears no what? Fruit. Same Greek word, carpon. Well, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. Thank you, God, for this experience. So that you will be even more what? Fruitful. You already are already clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch, listen, no branch can bear fruit by itself. If there's not a connection to Jesus, it's not fruit. Okay, it's just a work. And there's a difference. He says, it must remain in the vine. Hey, go back, go back one verse there. He says, no branch can bear fruit by itself. 
It must remain in the vine. There's got to be a, there's got to be a connection there. Neither can you or I bear fruit unless you remain in me. Got it? Here's verse five. I'm the vine. You're the branch. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit apart from me. You can do nothing. If you don't remain in me, you're a branch or like a branch that is thrown away and it withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. Listen, here's what you need to know about God's economy. You're a branch grafted into the true vine, Jesus. And the goal of every branch connected to Jesus is to produce fruit. The Bible lists six fruits throughout scripture. If you study the Greek word carpon through the New Testament, you can find six different examples of what fruit looks like if you're connected to Jesus. You want to know what one of them is? Generosity. Generosity. Part of what knowing Jesus should produce in every believer is the fruit of giving. Every one of us. And here's what we lose out on. If we don't if we don't pay the cost up front, we lose out on that validation that at the core of every one of us wants. Some of you are pursued careers to the detriment of your family. Some of you have produced education. Some of you have produced, have pursued wealth. Some of you have, present, have, have pursued, you know, fleshly desires. All at the cost of something. And why? Because something has to make me feel like I matter. Every survey employers give employees, here's what you'll find out. The number one reason that people leave their job is because they find no sense of value or worth at the place they're leaving. It's never money. It's always about, do I have any value here? Husbands will leave wives and wives will leave children. And children will do anything to escape parents if they feel they have no worth. One of the greatest challenges we find in the prison ministry is finding men and women who are partially there. Not as justification for a crime, simply as an explanation of the activity is that they were raised in an environment where they never found any value. How do you find it? You find it by doing the cost up front. And knowing that the greatest value you'll ever have in the world is when the God who created you says, you're good. I'm so proud of you. You're so generous. You know what? You're okay. You know what? I can't thank you enough. He speaks well on you. And I just know that in a world so desperate to find affirmation that TikTok has millions of viewers doing stupid things, mostly to gain attention, we've got a problem. And there's a way to fix it. Find that value and affirmation from God himself. Here's the last one. Here's the last one. The loss of pleasing God. Pleasing God. How many of you struggle as people pleasers? Come on. And if you're a people pleaser, I know you're going to raise your hand because you're going to worry that I'll be upset if you don't. Right? Right? I'm married to a people pleaser. I remember when we came to Tomoka several years ago, somebody put the book Boundaries 
in her hand. She read it and she said to me, where was this book 30 years ago? She said, I could have probably saved myself a lot of heartache if I'd have known this 30 years ago. And of course, I was thinking to myself, well, I've been trying to tell you that for 30 years. But, you know, that's a whole nother story, right? No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding, right? But man, I tell you what, if you're a people pleaser, there's no greater, there is no greater motivation than making sure that you do whatever it takes to get people to say, good job. We're friends. Everything's okay. Okay between us. Right? I mean, people pleasers live in a prison that if you're not a people pleaser, you can't understand. It is an overwhelming force in their life to do whatever they can to make sure that whoever is around them in any given moment is always okay with them. I can't imagine living in that kind of hell. And yet people do it all the time, every day to survive. Here's what, here's what you and I lose out on if we fail the front end investment of generosity. Listen to, listen to Philippians 4.18. Paul says, I'm amply supplied. I got more than enough. Now that I've received from Epaphroditus, Epaphroditus was the guy that Paul sent the letter with to go and, and, and deliver it to the church. He says, I've received from Epaphroditus the gifts, again, the fruit that you sent. Listen to what these gifts are. They're a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice. Everybody say the word pleasing. Everybody say pleasing. Pleasing to God. Pleasing to God. If you're a, if you're a, if you're a Jesus follower, listen, we, 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 uh, listen, all of us at some level who are followers of Jesus know that part of what we're trying to do is to live a life that God's happy with. Would you agree with that? I mean, listen, that's what, that's what church is ingrained in people forever, right? God sees everything, right? So make sure that what you do makes God happy because God sees everything. Everybody sort of gets that, right? How do you make God happy? Here's what Paul says. You want to know how to please God? Be generous. Be generous. Support the work of the gospel. Meet the needs of those people who are involved in it. Take up offerings to help our, our missionaries in Jeremy, Haiti. To make sure that children get fed. When the value of the dollar decreases by 40% overnight and all of a sudden your dollar can't buy as much food. All of those things that you do and I do in regard to that generosity, here's what it does. It pleases God. It pleases Him. As opposed to making yourself crazy over the, over the rules and regulations you've set up. To say, I've got to do these things, so God will make be happy. I can't ever say this, and I can't ever think that, and I can't ever do this, and you make yourself crazy. How about this? Just do a little financial investment in the gospel. And watch God receive it as a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, and be pleased. Right? The power 
the, the, our senses, right? Sight and sound and taste, right? They're powerful senses, right? I mean, you can hear a song and it can take you back to 1982, right? I mean, you can hear a, you can hear a song and it can take you back to a moment 30 years past. And you can remember the exact moment and everything that went on. Smell is like that, is it not? Right? How many of you know the power of a smell? Right? I mean, man, there are things that you smell that the minute you smell it, you're transported. Right? Right? Coffee. Right? But so I'm going to tell you this. It's stupid, but it's the last one of Wednesday. So I'm just going to tell you something stupid. Right? So the power of smell is probably the most significant scent to me. Right? Because I'm constantly sniffing. My wife's always like, I don't smell anything. Whatever. Right? Then she says, I heard that because she can hear everything. Right? So there's a gentleman that goes to church here. And I had a very awkward relationship with him for the, for the, for the first probably year or so, maybe two. And I couldn't figure out why we had a lot in common, roughly the same age, same sports background, right? Just both from the Midwest, right? It's not Joe, by the way, right? But it just had a very weird relationship. We just, neither one of us could just get past it. Now, this was probably more on me than it was on him. Because when I shared this with him several years later, when we moved here, he sort of looked at me like I was a crazy person, right? But here's what I found. Here's what I figured out. We're standing, we're standing backstage one weekend and this person's standing beside me and there's just, right. And all of a sudden it just hit me like a ton of bricks. The reason why I had such a weird relationship with him was he smelled just like my dad did. He had the same scent that my father had. And I'm, and I, my relationship with my dad was anything but normal, right? And easy. It was always awkward, right? And so every time I was around him, subconsciously that smell triggered me into this weird sort of cowering individual around him. And I, and I always felt, I always felt aggravated after interacting with him. And I just couldn't figure out why it was because of that power of that smell had brought me back into that relationship. Here's what Paul said happens when you and I are generous. God smells something favorable. It is a, he said, is it a fragrant aroma that's pleasing to God? You see, it might, listen, church, it might seem like a lot to give 10 bucks on a Wednesday night when you've only got 12 in your wallet. It might seem overwhelming to think about giving 50 bucks as a tithe when you've got a $47 bill due and 60 bucks in your checking account. I get it. I've been there many, many times. But here's what I know. Every time I have failed to invest up front, I've missed out on so much more. And I'm convinced, listen, the older I get, 
the less I'm inclined to ever question somebody's love for Jesus. But the older I get, the more inclined I am to question somebody's experience of Jesus. Because as a be- listen, if the best that you get out of Jesus is here in worship and this, it won't be enough. There's got to be a personal experience with Jesus that you and I have been given a privilege to be a part of. And we can't ever experience it without the cost up front. It's amazing what we get for that. We get, we get, right? We get to experience Jesus giving us strength so that we don't cave into our circumstances. I mean, how many Christian people need that in 2000 or 2020? And how many of us are going to need that going into 2021? There's no hope. There's no promise that things are going to get better in 2021 right now. Nothing's ending like it's going to be. Who knows what that's going to look like? Half of the United States is closing up shop, right? People are angry and frayed and hurt, right? We're, we're, we're back as bad or worse than we were in March and April. And there are lots of people struggling. I just know that the experience of the necessary force from Jesus to be content when I'm in need and want, it's a powerful thing, right? I know, I know the power of a shared bond. Tom Hunter is one of my dearest friends in the world. We don't talk a ton, but Tom and I will always be best of friends because our shared experience for almost seven years was so powerful it won't ever cause us to be anything but bonded together as brothers and friends, right? You won't get that without the generosity cost up front. It just won't happen. You won't know, right? You won't know the power of pleasing God without that generous gift. As opposed to running around to finding how you can please other people in this world for your validation, right? Do it by pleasing God. And again, is the cost minimal? No. No, it's not. For some of you, it is beyond exorbitant to think that you could do that here right now. I just know that what you're going to lose on the other end, you can't put a price tag on it. It's everything we need to do what Paul said in chapter 3. I count everything. I count everything as loss, right? To gain the surpassing knowledge of Jesus Christ. Without those kind of experiences, our faith's going to struggle to maintain itself in a world where we need to trust in God more now than we ever have. Amen, church?